uh, the book of Nahum. Now, to help you out a little bit, we've been going through the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> and we've been looking at uh, the the books of the Bible. And we before we uh, before we get started, we've been mentioning these books in order, these minor prophets in order. And so I want to start that again because I want to help you to memorize what the order of these books are. And so if you don't know where it's at just yet, hopefully this will help you. Okay, we're going to say them together. We go top to bottom, left to right, and uh, and we're going to say these together and hopefully help us to learn the books of the Bible in order when it comes to the minor prophets, okay? So it starts out with this. Say them with me. Ready? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah and Malachi. All right, good job. You guys are starting to figure it out. Um, I don't know if you're just reading or if you really are memorizing, but hopefully uh, it's helping you and some of that starting to pl- plug into your brains a little bit more so you can know where these 12 books are found. The 12 books that are written over a period of roughly 400 years and yet contain some very important areas in the, the history of Israel, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, now we're coming, and we're kind of turning a corner here. Uh, we've been working our way through chronologically uh, in the Word of God, looking at different books, these, these minor prophets, and uh, we've covered an, uh, a, a span, a period of, of close to 100 years almost at this point in time, and uh, now we're going to turn the page into the book of, of Nahum, and that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. As we get started, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive into God's Word and uh, the study into the book of Nahum this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be able to open your Word for a few moments, and God, as we look at this book of Nahum, I pray, Lord... You would challenge our hearts. Help me, Lord. You know, I, I need you this morning just like I do every week. And God, I just pray that you'd help me to be able to, to speak your word clearly, to be able to, um, to share what, what you desire for me to share from your word, and only that. God, you know I've got notes, I've got things in front of me, but Lord, I just pray that you direct me in, in what it is that you want me to say. And God, I pray that uh, what's said, Lord, would be a help. And God, we'd be encouraged by your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for all that you do for us, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before I jump into the book of Nahum, I would be remiss not to tell you that today is my anniversary, and I have to say happy anniversary to my wife of 12 years. Today we celebrate. She has stuck with me for 12 years so far, and uh, it's exciting. Uh, we were talking about it yesterday, and she said, man, it's been 12 years, but it feels like a lifetime, and so uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. She didn't really say that, but... Uh, uh, she actually, she, she, every day's a dream come true. I don't know. That, that's what I imagined her saying. And so, um, anyway, uh, thankful for my, my wife that, uh, she, she chooses to stick with me. So it's a blessing. So dumb things that I do. So I love you. All right. So as we, uh, dive into the book of Nahum, you know, sequels are, uh, uh, can be a hard, uh, it's hard to find a good sequel. Uh, whenever in, in life, and, and specifically in movies. I remember as a kid uh, watching the first Toy Story. I remember whenever it came out and watching the first Toy Story as a kid, and I think as a little kid being absolutely terrified, but uh, I remember watching, and uh, you know, for, for all of us, you know, if you were a kid at that time, after, after seeing that first movie, uh, after that you would make your way to your door and you'd open it up real quick just to look in and see if you'd catch them playing, you know, and uh, I mean it changed our lives forever, and uh, you know, that was uh, that had a huge impact on my life, and then I remember when they came out with Toy Story two, and it was like, all right, it's just getting better. And then they had Toy Story three, and then Toy Story four, and I heard they're coming out with Toy Story five, and you know it just keeps on it keeps on going. You know, uh, sequel after sequel, 
right? Uh, I remember a few years later, I got a little bit older, and uh, they, they came out with another uh, 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 series of, of movies called The Lord of the Rings. And uh, some of you in this room are, uh, don't care anything about what I'm talking about right now. Others of you are avid fans, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember as a, as a young person watching those and, and I couldn't wait for the next one to come out so I could sit and watch for like five and a half hours this incredible movie. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was so exciting to be able to see that. Some of you in this war- room are, are Star Wars fans. And uh, you could tell me about all of of the movies in orders. Um, I've shared this before. I am all about movies and sequels and series and things like that. I've never seen one of the Star Wars movies. And, uh, you know, I thought about one time, maybe I'd sit down and I'd start watching them. But I thought to myself, if I did that, I wouldn't be able to stand up in front of everybody and watch their faces when I say I've never seen one of them. And so, I don't know, I might, I'm probably going to die never watching them. And so, you know, but, but uh, I've heard from, from, from people that are very avid watchers and lovers of them that some of the sequels are better than others. And, uh, you know, you can go through and you can think about that. Maybe you've read a book before and uh, you, you uh, read the first one and then they came out with a second one and, and you were passionate. You couldn't wait to dive into that good book a sequel to whatever you've seen. Uh, you know, whether a movie or, or a book, there can be a feeling of nostalgia, either satisfaction or disappointment with what follows the first installment. As we've made our way through the minor prophets, as we've already mentioned, the very first book chronologically that was to come was the book of Jonah. Jonah. Now, we spent a a good deal of time preaching verse by verse through the book of Jonah, walking through it, and we know that that it was in about 780 B.C. that that Jonah preached his message to Nineveh. You'll remember the story that God promised to bring judgment to the nation of of Nineveh, this wicked Assyrian uh, city. And, and, And Jonah, while he loved the message, he didn't want to go and preach it to them. You remember why? We even talked about it this morning in Sunday school. The reason he didn't want to preach it to them was because he knew that God was merciful and long-suffering and he knew that God forgives and he didn't want God to forgive the nation of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. And so he didn't want to go and preach to them. So we know this story. He ran away, swallowed by the fish. God spits him back on dry land. He goes to Nineveh and sure enough, he preaches his message, his eight-word message, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown and Nineveh repents and God God says, okay, I'm going to give you mercy. And it's a beautiful picture because it's a nation that was not God's, picture, uh, God's people. It was a, a nation that, that was not uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the nation that was following God. It was a nation that was the enemy of God. And yet God uh, shows us that when we repent, even the most wicked, even the vilest, whenever they turn to the Lord, that God can forgive, He can restore, God can do uh, the impossible, and He can give them Mercy, mercy. Well, right around 780, God uh, gave mercy in, uh, to, to the nation of Nineveh and, and, and spared that city from, from destruction. But it wasn't long after that Nineveh, the capital city, returned to its old ways. That they turned back to their wickedness. That they turned back to their false gods. That they focused their attention on conquering and on persecuting other nations and specifically the nation of Israel. They became once again the enemy of God. 
Around 720 BC, 60 years later, Assyria would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And so now we just have the southern kingdom. Israel was going about, they were conquering, they were unstoppable, they were a nation that that nobody could stand against. They were conquering the known world. And In 700 BC, we have a little bit of a blip uh, in in their, their plan as they were going out and conquering and, and, and we see that, that Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, they were wiping out city after city and, and they came to the city of Judah and the holy city of Jerusalem they were looking to destroy it and as they were preparing to take it out, a, a godly king, one of the few godly kings that, that Judah had, Hezekiah, uh, bowed with, with another guy, a, a guy that was a prophet named Isaiah, all right, and they bowed before the Lord and they prayed and begged God to spare them. And it's a cool story in Second Chronicles 32. The Bible tells us in verse number 20, And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel, which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and the captains of the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned uh, with shame of face to his own land. And when he was of his God, they that came forth of his own bow slew him there with the sword. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, uh, and guided them on every side. God, uh, through his power, halted the unstoppable army of Assyria. But by the time we come to the book of Nahum, about another 40 years has passed by, And Assyria has once again reestablished itself as the world power. It was about 660 B.C., about 120 years after God had shown mercy to the nation of Nineveh, to the nation of Assyria. And we find our way to the book of Nahum. Nahum was a contemporary of Habakkuk and Zephaniah. Jeremiah, all of them probably came on the scene uh, toward the end of Nahum's ministry. And Nahum's name, the book that that this man is named after, his name is interesting. It simply means comfort. Comfort. Uh, His name is, is, is interesting because the entire book of Nahum deals with judgment. So why would God have a guy whose name is Comfort, means Comfort, write a book completely about judgment? Well, the reason why is because who the judgment was directed toward and who the book was written to. The book was not written to Nineveh. The book was written to the southern nation of Israel. He's written to Judah. And it was about the judgment that was coming on the city, the nation of Israel. Of, of Assyria and Nineveh. We find this in, in, in chapter number 1, verse number 1. It says this, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. 120 years prior, God had shown mercy to this nation. But now we've reached the sequel. Now we've reached the second act. The conclusion, I guess you of the story. In this sequel, mercy wasn't coming. No, it was judgment. This time there would be no repentance by Nineveh. There would be no stain of God's wrath. 
But the truth is, to those in Judah that were hearing this prophecy from Nahum, they must have laughed amongst themselves. Because as they heard this this prophecy from Nahum, as they heard of the coming destruction that God was saying that He was going to do to the city of Nineveh, they must have shook their heads, they must have laughed in astonishment, because Nineveh was unstoppable. Assyria was unbeatable. In fact, by this point in time, they had conquered the known world. It wasn't they were conquering. They had conquered it. It was done. It was finished. There was no army that could stand up against the nation of Assyria. There was no nation that could put any defense against Nineveh. Assyria and Nineveh, they had complete control over the world. No man, no army could defeat them. But the judgment that was coming was not coming at the hand of some man. It was coming at the behest of Almighty God. You know, the book of Nahum, it breaks down uh, according to its chapters when it, when it comes to, I guess you could say, an outline that you could build off of it. Chapter number 1 deals with God's judgment being declared. God's judgment being declared. Right off the back, Nahum declares judgment on that nation of Nineveh and what they would receive. In verse number 2 and 3, he says this, God is jealous. The Lord revenges. The Lord, uh, the, uh, the Lord revenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord, it's slow to anger and great power and he will not all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Here at the beginning, Nahum is, is by inspiration of God pointing out that, listen, God is not always just long-suffering. Now I'm thankful that God is long-suffering, but judgment does come. And that's exactly what Nineveh was going to find out. This wicked and evil nation that had been given all this time by God, God says, listen, I'm, I'm done. The, the, the mercy, the grace that I've shown, he says, listen, I've come to an end. While God is slow to anger, his long suffering had come to the finish, to the end. His judgment was going to be poured out on the nation of Israel. They were going to experience, or excuse me, the nation of Assyria. They were going to experience the wrath of God in their lives. And as a way of reminder, I love this, it, he, he gives this little verse that just, it kind of seems like it doesn't even belong here. It's kind of like a blip in the middle of destruction that he talks about when he comes to verse number 7. As he writes to Israel, I love this. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. For years... The nation of Judah had been under persecution and unjust taxation by the Assyrians. They had watched as it seemed that wickedness and evil was winning. They must have wondered, where is God in our time of weakness? Where is God in our time of oppression? Where is God when everything seems to be falling apart all around us? How long would they have to remain in bondage? And as God is speaking of the judgment that He's getting ready to pour out on Assyria, it's like He pulls back the veil for a moment for Israel, for Judah, and He says, listen, by the way, I never forgot you. By the way, I was always there. By the way, hey, I was walking with you, and listen, I, 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 you... 
may have been praying and saying, God, get me out of this thing. But he said, listen, I didn't take you out, but I want you to know I was with you through it the whole time. I may not have delivered you out of your difficulty, but I am your stronghold as you go through it and you can trust me. Isaiah 43, verse 2, he says this, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame upon thee. Hey, God had kept track of, of, of everything that was going on. God knew everything that they were going through. And God said, listen, as you're going through them, you're not doing it alone. I'm walking with you through it. And listen, this is interesting. Not only did God say He's going to bring judgment, not only did God say, listen, I'm walking with you through it, God says this, He says, listen, and I'm keeping track of all those that have oppressed you and all those that have attacked you. All those that have stood against me and against you. Look at verse number 11. He says, there is a wicked out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now will I break his yoke from off thee and will burst thy bonds in sunder. He, he looks and he says, listen, there is a, we don't know exactly who it is. In fact, uh, many, many of the scholars and things, they look at this and they say, well, you know, maybe it was the king of Assyria that he was talking about, this wicked counselor. Maybe that's who it was. Maybe it was the, the wicked uh, military leader Sennacherib they don't know exactly who it was but he says this listen I'm keeping track of who it is that's oppressing you I'm keeping track of the one that is trying to destroy you the one that is your enemy that has come up against you the one that is against me he says listen I'm keeping track so you don't have to aren't you thankful that God keeps track so we don't have to you know what that means means you don't have to hold on to that bitterness. It means you don't have to hold on to that unforgiveness. It means you don't have to be the one that deals out vengeance. No, the Bible tells us right there at the beginning, He says, listen, I will revenge. I'll take care of it. And just so you know, I'm keeping track of each one that stood against me. You don't have to. Friend, whatever you're holding on to this morning, I hope you'll see the, 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 that God is a good God. God loves you so much, and whatever you've been through, whatever you face, that God has walked through it with you, and whatever, whoever stood against you, listen, God's keeping track on your behalf, so you don't have to. And God has a way of avenging in greater ways than we ever could. God made clear in chapter number one, He knows the enemy, and He was declaring His coming judgment. Then we come to chapter number two, and it's, it's a little bit more simple. He, it's God's judgment that's described. He kind of gets into a little bit more details of, of what's coming. He's telling Israel, if you think Nineveh's persecution towards you was hard, wait until I rain judgment on them. That's in a nutshell basically what he's doing in, in chapter number 2. If you look at the last verse of number 13, the Lord says, Behold, I am against thee. Hey, can I tell you something? That's not a good place to be. <laughs> when God sets himself as your enemy, you're on the wrong team. Okay, You're in a bad spot. You're in a bad place. He says, Listen, I am against thee. 
saith the Lord of hosts. Listen, I will burn her chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions. I will cut off the earth, and the voice of the messengers shall no more be heard. Hey, listen, it's a dangerous place to find yourself as the enemy of God. In Assyria and Nineveh, they were about to understand that. They were about to find that out. He would repeat his position in chapter number 5 and verse number 3, when he would say again, Behold, I am against thee. And Nineveh would soon find out that while the grace and mercy of God is sweet, the judgment of God is fierce. The wrath of God is not something that anyone wants to endure. And then we come to chapter number 3 as we're breaking down these chapters. It's that God's judgment is definite. It's definite. In chapter number 3, Nahum deals with, with the reality that God's judgment is final. It's complete. It's total. In the last verse of the chapter, he, he goes on and he says this, There is no healing of thy bruises. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee, for upon whom, shall, whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. God's making clear that there would be no recovery. There would be no recovery for Nineveh. Destruction would be utter and it would be complete. He emphasizes this reality in verse 8 and 10 of the chapter. He says this, And art thou better than the, the populace? No. Or the, the city of Noanon. It's, it, it was a, the Egyptian city of Thebes. He says that was situated among the rivers that had the, the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, who, uh, her, her wall was from the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Putin and Lubin were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away. She, was, oh, she went into captivity. Her young children were also dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. They cast lots of her, her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You know what he's saying here? He says, listen, you went into this, these cities in Egypt. Egypt. You went into these, these countries. He says, you, Syria, you wiped them out. So there was nothing left. And he says, that's what's coming for you. He says, I'm going to wipe you off the map. Total and absolute destruction to the nation of Israel. There would be no rebuilding. In fact, it wasn't until the 1980s the 1980s, that any remains of the city of even discovered. Wow. When God brings down His hand of judgment, it's final. And you know in 612 B.C., 48 years later, God used another nation called Babylon to do exactly what he said, and to wipe them off the map. For Israel, it was a comfort and a reminder that no matter how big your enemy is, no matter how bad things may seem, God is still in control. You can trust him. He's already won the war. Can I remind us this morning 
that you and I were condemned. We were guilty. There was nothing that we could do to excuse ourselves. Based upon your works and my works, we were declared unrighteous and worthy of the penalty. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans chapter number 6.23 says, The wage of sin is death. Friend, the accuser had pinned you down to the point, and you were, you were definite, it was defined. Listen, you were done because of your sins. There was no escape. There were no loopholes. There was not going to be a second chance. There was no way that you could get out of it. Revelation chapter number 20. The Bible tells us, And I saw the dead and small and great stand before God. The books were open. Another book was open, which is called the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were delivered up of the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And listen, whosoever was not found written in the book of of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen, friend, based upon your works, when you would be judged, you would be condemned to eternity in a lake of fire. Eternity in hell. There was no escape for you. That is where you were headed. That's where I was headed. There's no way. You were condemned and rightfully judged and sentenced as guilty judgment was coming and it would be fierce it would be final if not for verses like Romans 5.8 but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Titus tells us is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. See, in Ephesians tells us, Paul writes, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should... In Romans 5.21, he says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus defeated the undefeatable enemy in your life when he died on that cross. It was impossible. There's no way you could win it on your own. And listen, friend, whenever you were looking up on your own, trying to figure out how you could do it, and doing all your good works to try to achieve it for yourself, there was nothing that you could do to get it. Nothing. No way you could obtain it on your own. But Jesus gives that gift of eternal life that's through Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, 24, He says, Therefore we conclude, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans 3, verse 28, He says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified, listen, by faith without the deeds of the law, not by any works that you and I can do. And in Acts chapter number 13, 39, He says, And by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. You were justified, made righteous by Jesus Christ. Jesus did what the law could never do. He paid for your eternity and, and, and he purchased your, your eternity in heaven. 
He defeated the ultimate enemy, the sin in your life. When he rose from that grave, he totally conquered. He wiped it off the map when you trust in him. It's almost as if you're carrying, you're carrying that weight of sin in your life. And, and when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know I can't do this on my own. I know that I can't get to heaven by my works. God, I'm trusting in you and what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross and not by anything that I can do. I'm putting my full faith and trust in you and you alone. It's like, oh, he takes it off. And you have the righteousness of God that's put on you. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. But unfortunately, it isn't the end of the story. I wish it was. I wish that was it. I wish you just took off your sin and and you put on the righteousness of Christ and that was the end of the story. But it's not. You see, Christian, we still have an enemy. Every day, you must go toe-to-toe with that enemy. And sadly, the reality in the church is that most Christians know more defeat at the hand of this enemy than they do victory. At times, it feels like it's an enemy that's impossible to overcome. We chalk up our struggles to the devil himself, but the devil is not omnipresent like Jesus. He's not omnipresent like God. He can only be in one place at one time. So whenever we say, well, the devil made me do it, it's a cop-out answer. No, the enemy that we face every day is our sinful flesh. It's wicked. It's evil. And just like the nation of Nineveh, it desires to serve other gods. Primarily, Ourself. Paul knew all about this enemy when he wrote in Romans 7. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. I want to do right, but I don't. The good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. If you're confused, just wait. (laughs) Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward men. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity, the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know what he's saying there? I know what I should do. I know what I'm supposed to do. But I don't do it. Instead, I go over here to this thing that I know I'm not supposed to do, and I do it instead. Ah, How do I get out of this? It's impossible. Listen, friend, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, your your eternity is sealed. You can't lose it. That's not what he's saying. But unfortunately, when your soul got saved, your flesh didn't join in that decision. And every day, your sinful flesh is seeking to take you back 
to your sinful ways. Galatians 4.9 says, But now after that ye have known God, or known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Stand fast, he says in Galatians 5.1, Therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with this yoke of bondage. Paul said, when you got saved, Jesus defeated your greatest enemy. You no longer have to be under the bondage of that sin. You no longer have to be under the bondage of your flesh. You've been delivered from it. But you know what we do? When we get saved, that that old sin nature, that old sinfulness, uh, it's taken off of us. The righteousness of Christ is put on us. And you know what we do? We walk back over and we take off the righteousness of Christ and we pick up that sin again and we put it back on. Why, Paul says? (laughs) Why? Why why do you turn again to your weak and beggarly element? Do you desire to be under bondage? Do you desire to be under that weight? Do you desire to to carry that sin in your life? That bondage is where your guilt lives. That bondage is where, where your failures live. That bondage is where your insecurities live. That bondage is where your defeat lives. So many Christians are living their life under that bondage and Christ says, you don't have to carry that anymore. I paid for that already. I've taken care of that. You're no longer a slave and a servant to sin. I've already dealt with that. You have to choose. Are you going to be a slave and a servant to me? Or are you going to go back and pick that old life back up? Pick out those ways that that you knew before you knew Christ? Are you going to go back to the old sins that always keep you down? And the guilt and the the failure and the the depression and the insecurities? Are you going to go back and you're going to pick those back up and put them back on and carry them through your life again? Is that what you're going to do? Hey listen, Nahum has a story and an answer for you. Nahum chapter number 1, verse number 7, the same thing he told to Israel. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows them that trust in him. You don't have to live under that bondage anymore. Oh, Romans 6, 1 and 2, such a wonderful verse. Why, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. How shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? Oh, Galatians 5.16 makes it so simple. This I say then, Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, choose today not to go back over and pick back up your sin and put it back up, put it back on. Yeah, choose today not to go back over to your flesh and pick that flesh and put it back on and say, I'm going to walk today in my flesh. I'm going to walk today in the things that I want to do. I'm going to make myself the God of my life. I'm going to be just like Nineveh. God says, I have given you an example in the Old Testament of what happens 
when you turn your back against me. My judgment is swift and it's final. Why would you go back and live like that's your life when I've delivered you? The Bible tells us in 1 John 1 9, a verse that's written to believers. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't be mistaken about the mercy and long-suffering of God like Nineveh was. You know what they were doing? They were living like, they, they said, listen, we, we were living like this before. And listen, whenever we just came back and we just, okay, God, we, we, and God forgave us. And, and listen, God's long suffering, so, so it's not that big of a deal. And we can just keep on going about living however we want to. And it's not, I mean, judge, judgment of God. God said he was, was going to do that before and he didn't do it before. So it's not a big deal. Until it did happen. See, God will judge sin and there are consequences for our sins. As a loving father, he will correct you as his child if we continue in unrepentance. Because Hebrews 12 verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Listen, if you decide you're going to go back over, you're going to pick up your sinful lifestyle and put it back on and live in your sin. You say, Kyle, what, what, what sin are you talking about? Listen, I know this. The Holy Spirit has a way of pointing it out right in your life right now. He has a way of going in there and saying, listen, you are dealing with this bitterness or this unforgiveness or you're dealing with anger or you're dealing... And, and you fill in the blank. You won't let it go. You're just holding on to it. God says, I love you so much. I'm going to tell you no. When our kids were, were little, we've got a wood stove in our house. And uh, even, even whenever the fire wasn't burning, we would tell our kids, don't touch that. Stay away from there. And when they got old enough to, to understand a little bit more, if they went over and they went to put their hands on it, sometimes we would go over and we'd give them a little, little swat. Don't touch that. No. That hurts. This last year in wintertime, Jackson was standing over there by the stove. And, and he was standing in front of it and he just backed up right into it. And the back of his arm touched it. Man, right on that tender spot, right back there. And it, and it burned. It got him pretty good. And he cried a lot. <laughs> it hurt him real bad. You know, I couldn't help but think, we told you not to. We tried to stop you from doing it. But you find out there's consequences. Oh God, it's not that big of a deal. I can live however I want to. Just a little bit of bitterness. Just one screen on my cell phone or on the computer, you know. 
Nobody will know. It's just, it's just a little drink. It's just a little that. It's just a little... yeah. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's saying, don't do that. You don't want to go that route. You don't want to live there. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, ouch. Because <laughs> sin hurts. Sin hurts. But this morning, if you'll be willing to come to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. You know I've been living in this. You know I've been struggling with this. God, would you forgive me and will you help me? Listen, I wish it was just like, boom, it's done. You know, now listen, forgiveness is, yes, absolutely. When we come to, to the Lord, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He absolutely does. And when we come to God sincerely, Lord, I am sorry, I failed. You know what He does? He immediately forgives us. And if you've been living your life and you've been going back and you've been begging God to forgive you for something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, can I tell you what you're doing? You're sinning against God because you don't believe He does what He says. When you come to God and you ask Him in sincerity, God, will you forgive me for this? God forgives. And that's it. Maybe the reason you're struggling with your sin is because you don't believe God really forgives you. And you just keep going back to it. But listen, friend, if it is something that you struggle with and and, and you say, God, please forgive me. I wish it was just, and then you're done. But you have to consciously make that decision over and over again. God, help me today not to go down that path. You see, I wish it was, you just get there, but... The Bible tells us we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. Which is like, today, Lord, I need your help not to go down that road. And then you wake up the next day and, God, today I need your help to walk in your Spirit, not in my flesh. God, will you help me? And, and the next day you wake up and, God, I need your help to walk in your Spirit, not in my flesh. And God, will you help me? And it's day after day after day after day choosing consciously. God, will you help me to do that. God, will you help me to defeat this, oh God, it seems like it's impossible. This unbeatable enemy in my life. God, I want to experience victory. Friend, today, you can choose to see what bondage you've gone back to and instead turn to Christ. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, one of the reasons that so many Christians aren't taking steps forward in their life is because they're being held down by sin that they just refuse to lay down. And today, if you'll decide, God, this is, you know, this is an enemy. My flesh, it's an enemy. It's against me. It's trying to destroy me. 
And God, help me today to take this, this off. And God, I want to put on your righteousness and I want to walk in your spirit. Help me today to have victory. To run this race that you've set before me. Oh, friend, if there's something holding you back from serving God the way that he wants to use you, lay it down. Jesus has defeated your impossible enemy. He's already won the war. Stop going back and picking that sin back up. Leave it there. And start walking in the Spirit and learning how to walk in the light of the victory that's in Christ. Israel, the comfort they must have experienced. God, you've already defeated them. I know it. You've already done it. I don't have to live like I'm in bondage anymore. God already won. You don't have to carry that weight anymore. Today, choose to let it go. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed as we finish our service. Father, bless.